0: everyone. My name is Brian Howard. I'm a Calgary realtor who has sold an average of a house a week since moving to this great city in 2003 and this is Calgary Living. I'm interviewing Calgary's top performers as it relates to living and lifestyle in our great city. Some of the podcasts will be real estate decision specific but most will be about life in Calgary and why we choose to live here or at least why you should visit. Thanks for tuning in. When Ralph was moving to Calgary from Montreal, he was driving in a taxi and having a conversation with the taxi driver. And the taxi driver, when hearing that Rolf was moving to Calgary, he actually pulled the car over, and he turned around and looked at Rolf and said, "The only thing they know how to do in Calgary is work." Well, Rolf's been living in Calgary pretty much since 2000 or 1998. Currently, uh, Ralph is the conductor of the Calgary Civic Orchestra. He is a professor at Mount Royal Conservatory, the University of Mount Royal. He is a pianist with the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra, and he is the artistic director of the Instrumental Society of Calgary. He's a busy man in his artistic de- endeavors and took an hour of his time to meet with me for you on this podcast. It was a fun and insightful meeting where we ranged uh, topics from music and broke music to living, lifestyle, real estate, all with a bent on Calgary. So I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed my time with Rolf. Ralph, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be a guest on the podcast, Calgary Living, Real Estate and Lifestyle. It's a pleasure. Ralph, I'm just going to jump right in here. What most strikes you about living in Calgary? Well, I'll just preface it by saying that I
1: lived the first part of my adult life in Montreal, which is a great city, a wonderful world city, uh, and has much to recommend it. I've had occasion in my through my work to visit many of the world's great cities. And what I find about Calgary is that it has almost all of the advantages of a big city with relatively few of the disadvantages. And um, I find it's a very user-friendly city. Um, I know people like to moan about the traffic problems here, but frankly, after living 30 years in Montreal, I have no sympathy for them whatsoever. (laughs)
0: That's great. And um, you've been in Calgary since a long time. I believe you came in 98 the first time. I first came in
1: 98. Uh, I lived here for three very happy years as resident conductor with the Calgary Philharmonic. Uh, My contract was up and I continued to do a similar job with the Montreal Symphony, so I moved back to Montreal. um, And then came back in uh, June of 2006. June of
0: 2006. And so from my perspective, that's a booming economy. You moved back into Calgary and when, the, when our real estate cycle and while well, everything in Calgary was on fire, what was that it like was for a, you?
1: It was a feeding frenzy. And um, I, I had sold my house in, in Montreal and with the intention of buying something here. And a good friend of mine who was in the real estate business said, don't buy now because it's out of control. Um, I I think if I had to do it again, I think it was very excellent advice. I think if I had to do it again, though, I would have gone ahead and tried to buy something.
0: Interesting. I'm kind of, um, I'm very curious in that. And I was going to say, that friend who gave you that advice was a very good and smart friend because, of, well, I continued buying personally in 2006 and 2007 into investment properties, and really felt the pain of that in 2009, 10, 11, 12. Personally. Yeah, I understand.
1: I mean, I mean, you know, you can't turn back the clock anyway. Um, I just, you know, you you uh, don't always have a down payment in your pocket. And I did when I arrived here I see. In, in June '06, and uh, uh, I didn't a year or two later. So
0: I see, I see. And so you ended up finding a rental at that time. And what was that like? I mean, there'd be 10 people in lineup for any given property to rent, well, and buy. It was, was that your experience or did you have a connection that said, hey, here's the perfect house for you. Come on in and be my guest. Well, I
1: had, I had friends in Calgary, of course, from my, from my earlier stay here. Um, and one of them lived in Mackenzie town and was driving around Mackenzie town and, uh, saw a house for rent and said, I, I knew that I was in town looking and, uh, you know, it, it all came together and it was a lovely house. And, and, uh, I, I did not know the Southeast at all because I had prior to that, I had owned a house close to the university in the Northeast Northwest, but it, I, I rented really well. Um, and, and, uh, it was perfect for my Family and the location is nice. I got to know the Southeast, which has many charms.
0: You're a high level musician, obviously. You're a, you're a professional, and uh, you know, um, do you have an interest in real estate? What is your interest in real estate? And maybe tell us a little bit about your first real estate decisions.
1: Well, I, I think that anybody who pursues a life in the arts um, probably has a reasonably highly developed sense of aesthetics. Oh, so I appreciate beauty in any form that, that it takes, uh, including houses. You know, it's, it's uh, I don't have enough time to sometimes visit like I would be interested in doing, but I certainly enjoy the process of when, when, when I have gone house shopping, uh, be it for purchase purposes or rental purposes, I've always enjoyed the process. and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, see how people have put, put buildings together and, you know, what's the latest and greatest in kitchen design. And uh, my girlfriend actually is in, the, in the, the kitchen design business in Kamloops, BC. Um, so I'm, I have an even greater, uh, a more heightened sense of, of sensitivity to that.
0: Oh wow! Well, oh, that's that's great and interesting. And Ralph, as you say that, and as you um, as you come, uh, I know coming from Montreal, and uh, I've spent some time in Montreal as well with Shirley when she was my girlfriend and now my wife. Um, as a student there, Montreal is such an amazing city. So I'm so pleased you came to Calgary. Actually, left and then returned to Calgary. So tell us a little bit about being from Montreal and you know choosing Calgary, and along those lines, what do you like most about Calgary and what don't you like about Calgary? The environment
1: here is, you know, with the proximity of the Rockies and even, you know, driving around you know, on, the, on the relatively flat parts of Alberta in the summer and and, and seeing the canola fields and so on. I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's beautiful country. Uh, that's I mean, that's part of the reason why I came back. But I think the main reason is that I had made some very good friends in the three years I was here in the late 90s. Um, and things turned out in Montreal, uh, not the way I had expected them to turn out. And, um, I had always said that if I had an opportunity to return that I would return. So I, I returned with a plan to start a business here. It didn't work out that way, but I very much landed on my feet and now I have probably more work than I should,
0: <laughs> Right. but then don't we all right. Right exactly well you know the question is like how much do we want and how and and where do we say no um well it was funny
1: you know because when i when i told um, i remember i was having a conversation in a with a cabbie in montreal in the couple of months before i was moving again in 06 and i was saying i was excited about moving to calgary and uh you know, normally they just kind of keep driving and, you know, there might, there might be some conversation sometimes there's actually a real conversation. Sometimes it's not. This time, the guy actually, the first opportunity he had, he, he, he pulled over on the side of the road and stopped for me and he looks back at me and he says, are you out of your mind? All they know how to do there is work. <laughs> and he was talking about, about Calgary, about Calgary. Really?
0: Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah.
1: And I have to say that even when in, 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 in my former life in Montreal where I was either playing or conducting somewhere between 100 and 125 concerts a year, um, there was a I, – I, I've never worked harder than in my time in Calgary.
0: Wow. All, I'm writing this down. All they know how to do there is work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, interesting. Interesting. And so, at this point, what do you um, what do you dislike most about Calgary? I mean, it sounds like you love the nature, the 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 I mean, the mountains, obviously, but even the the, the prairie and the and those kind of landscapes that we can see driving from place to place. Honestly, there's not much that I don't like. I uh, again, perhaps coming from a
1: Montrealer perspective, um, I wish that roads and sidewalks were were uh, cleared. By somebody other than me, or we're cleared. First of all, let's start with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and the the sidewalk, um, the sidewalk issue is is a uh, for me is an irritant because, you know, I mean, what are you supposed to do if you're out of town or just really busy, and then you 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 know you you have to keep your sidewalk down to the bare concrete or you risk getting a ticket and if you happen to have a neighbor who who's not necessarily friendly i i've had one of those that call call the city on me because i was actually waiting for my son to do to take his responsibility to clear the sidewalks on what was a corner lot which also seems to have been my destiny i don't have that anymore thank heavens but but uh <laughs> and i was waiting for him he was he was supposed to do it and i was you know i was doing the dad thing come on let's get let's get this done and it didn't get done and in the meantime i got a warning from the city so i was unimpressed and anyway <laughs> well
0: at least he didn't get a fine i've had that happen too not actually at my own home because as you know well you don't know but surely my wife does always she always shovels the sidewalk cuz she likes it isn't that great yeah, well, send, send her down my way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before I jump into this, I've, I've uh, asked some of our listeners in my audience about some questions that I should uh, direct towards you. But just before I do that, I want to ask another one last question sort of regarding Calgary and sort of my current, um, you know, thoughts a lot about the Calgary is, how about um, the boom-bust economy at Calgary, Rolf? How, how do you cope with it? Are you knowing many people affected by it, or is the music, or is our arts sector in Calgary affected by our boom-bust economy?
1: I think that we have to be affected by it and, and the biggest way I think in terms of you know performing arts organizations is that it makes what is already a challenge to find sponsorship and donation dollars it makes it that much more difficult because people just don't have as much and there's not as many people or organizations or companies out there that are in a position to help the arts organizations. And I think that we all feel that in, to, to one extent or another. In terms of my own personal life, uh, I, don't, I, I don't think, from what I've observed, I, I think there always seems to be kids who need piano lessons or whose parents would like them to have piano lessons. Uh, so I, I, th- I, I think we are perhaps somewhat, on that level as teachers, somewhat inured and the Conservatory of course has a wonderful reputation and has a wonderful faculty of, of teachers for every instruments and beyond. Uh, and there, dis- there seems to be enough of a market that I, I mean, I'm, I'm not the person necessary to, necessarily to be up on all what all those figures are, but in my own personal experience. I find that it's we are relatively inured from the bust economy on that level, but certainly, as I said, in terms of organizations and trying to find sponsorship dollars, it's it's a much more challenging when the economy isn't booming.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, I maybe like to touch back a little bit on you know, as I was reading a little bit on you and. Uh, you're a very, very active performer with more than I think four thousand performances at this time, um, but are now focusing more on music education, I guess maybe primarily through the Mount Royal University. Is that correct?
1: yeah i i when i when I came here from Montreal, I looked for various opportunities and um, finally was able to uh, get a faculty position at the conservatory. Um, it's it's an amazing institution, you know, it really is, and the program that I have led for the last several years, the Academy Piano Program, is seen around the world by those who know it as being a real model for training and schooling and mentoring young artists, uh, and I, I'm... You know, there have been so many on on a wide variety of instruments that have gone on to have careers as musicians, which is, I tell you, this is not a given. This is tough. And and, uh, there are a lot of awfully talented people out there that have not been able to achieve that. So Mm -hmm. I think it's something that um, we're doing a lot of things right. And we've been recognized uh, around the world. And... You know, I, because of my position at Mount Royal, I've been able to teach at the Beijing Central Conservatory and in uh, in Italy and in other places in China. And it's, yeah, so it's it's something I I, I think it's a, it's a real treasure in the musical community, in the educational community, in this city that we have this conservatory.
0: Mm-hmm. I've uh, I've uh, heard lots of great musicians come out of it, and. Continue to see the odd performance and really enjoy it. Um, uh, one of my listeners I, I said, you know what kind of questions should I have for uh, for you and um, I got a couple of music related questions. Um, what do you think of the revival of broke music with original instruments? He was curious in your opinion on that.
1: You know, I think it's fantastic we've We've experienced in uh, in the last I would say 40 or 50 years, a, an explosion, to some extent, of research done on historical performance practices. Um, and you, you, you can't turn back the clock. And the research is, is overall very scholarly, and I believe very accurate, but you know, we don't have recordings from the time of Handel and Bach and Vivaldi. Mm-hmm. Um, So we we have, it's, it's educated um, guesswork, but I think that, I mean, we have, we know what the instruments were. We know how they were different. Um, And between that and anecdotal evidence and, uh, you, you know, kind of working the clock backwards in time, people have done great scholarly work in trying to uh, enlighten the performers on what likely was the performance style of such a bygone era mm-hmm. and i think it's a logical uh extension of that that people said well okay that that's that's really cool but let's try to recreate it and if you're going to going to do that uh one of the most essential tools is to have Period instruments, so mm-hmm. baroque. The violin itself hasn't really changed from that as much as the, the bow has. No, really, been a much more dramatic change in, in keyboard instruments. Um, much more dramatic, even from uh, two hundred years ago to where we are, as of about a hundred years ago. The modern piano and certain modern pianos are just uh, have such a different. Uh, carrying power than what their ancestors did. Mm-hmm. But I think it's great. Um, I, I think um, to have that trove of knowledge just makes us better understand uh and appreciate uh music as it was almost certainly intended to be played. Now you get you get one you get get quite the variety of opinion and results, depending on which particular Baroque expert you may be speaking to or working with.
0: Okay.
1: So it is inevitably, to a certain extent or another, it's guesswork.
0: Right. And, and right, yourself, but it's, it's great. Yourself when you with your own CD collection, if you have that. Um, what, what are you listening to? Are you listening to Baroque music with original instruments these days or with um, more, uh, I guess, contemporary instruments?
1: I, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that what I conduct uh, is not a Baroque orchestra. Right. Um, when I conduct Baroque music using modern instruments, the aesthetic has some foundation in the past, but certainly is affected by the forces that I have in front of me
0: mm-hmm.
1: so is it the same are there there are elements of period practice that certainly that I use um, but the fact of the matter is that that people are playing in in on contemporary instruments on modern instruments and so, you know, it's, it ends up being something of a hybrid. I don't mm-hmm. think, though, that the music is any less well um, served because it's played on modern instruments than it is on Baroque instruments. The fact that it's played on period instruments does not, in and of, in and of itself, make it a more compelling performance. But mm-hmm. so what I'm, bottom line is, I'm looking for a compelling performance.
0: Oh, okay. And
1: sometimes that may involve, in the case of Baroque music, it may involve period instruments, but it may not. The same thing, it. if you go, I'll give you another example that's quite, quite specific. The, 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 the Civic Symphony in our April concert coming up is doing the mighty Eroica Symphony by Beethoven. Okay. And when I first, when I conducted that for the first time, um, I kind of had bookended um, reference performances. When I listen to music that I'm conducting, it's sort of to, I don't know, to have inspiration perhaps, but to listen to, I listen for different things from different people. Um, and for the Beethoven Symphonies, one of the landmark recordings was by uh, the complete symphony set, was, symphonies set was conducted by John Eliot Gardner. And this still is a reference set for musicians, conductors, because he is—he did his best to, first of all, it's on more period instruments, and he did his best to respect as literally as possible Beethoven's indications,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it's fascinating. It's a fascinating document, very compelling performances, um, and my other set of that, was, was, a, was the first set of recordings made in the early 60s by Herbert von Karajan and the Berlin Philharmonic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It had nothing to do with period instruments at all, but Beethoven was extraordinarily well served. And just to give you an example of how dramatically different these things can be and still be absolutely compelling, the John Eliot Gardner recording of the slow movement of the Eroica, as I recall, was around 12 minutes long. And and the Carrion and Berlin performance was about 17 minutes long. Hmm. So that's dramatically different. Yeah. But oh my gosh, equally compelling performances. And oh, neat. so anyway.
0: Well, we'll have to set those side by side and have a listen to both of them. I'll vote out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I'll include sort of links and in, in the show notes on on those two. Um, let me ask you, do you uh, do you believe that different keys have different colors? Yes. Oh, neat. <laughs> can you explain um, explain that a little bit? I've just heard recently that the D major is the most happy of all keys. Is that true, or do you agree?
1: <laughs> um. Well, I mean, I think it depends a little bit. I think A major can be very happy, also. Um, and what color
0: is a, a major? Does it have a color?
1: Oh, I don't. I mean, I don't think it necessarily in terms of colors. Specifically, some people do, and there is a there is a you know, some sort of historical, uh, there's some sort of history of that. I, I can't say that I'm an expert on that, um, but of course, I deal with color all the time, um, but not necessarily because it's a key. I just think you know, one of the happiest works that I know is the Mendelssohn Italian Symphony, and it's in a major, okay, um. E flat is classic heroic. There's so many heroic pieces that are, that are in E flat.
0: Really? Um, yeah. E flat is classic heroic.
1: Yeah. Like the Eroica symphony by Beethoven, the emperor concerto by Beethoven. They're both in E flat. It's a classic heroic. I call it color or, or character or whatever. Um, so I do believe that, keys have characters, even if I don't necessarily describe that as colors. Some people do.
0: Okay. I'm looking forward to sort of pulling some of those recordings this weekend. Um, our friend Mano Mitchell asked a question. Um, she, uh, she said that she's heard that orchestras are like dinosaurs. What do you think of that comment? Are we, in fact, seeing the slow death of the greatest music ever written? And how can we make this music more relevant in today's day and age?
1: You know, that's something that we are constantly aware of. It's, I think, one of the, the greatest issues in North America, particularly, but not limited to that, but one of the greatest issues is the, the gradual disappearance of the fine arts from our educational system. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a challenge, and I I, I mean I'm I'm not going to start extolling the virtues of how fine arts education helps us become better human beings because it does, and th- there have been so many studies and you know psychological and sociological studies uh About the positive effects of the fine arts on the human psyche, music in particular, of course, in my case, but certainly not limited to that uh it speaks for itself um and and i don 't know somehow the people who make the the financial decisions uh, too many of them don't seem to understand or respect that um we live in a in a time of expediency and efficiency, and expediency and efficiency is not necessarily part of the most obvious description of the fine arts. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I, I would, I would, <laughs> in a way, dispute my own words there, because as a as a performing musician and teacher, I have to be expedient. I have to be efficient. I have to make use of every minute of rehearsal time. I have to make use good use of, of my teaching time. But I think, you know, what makes music uh, and the fine art it, it, it it's 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 a given that as a society and as a people we are better off having that in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Unfortunately, as I said, the people who who are responsible for making the decisions uh, about, about this and the dollars and the resources that have to go to that uh, too often, especially in North America, don't appear to understand or appreciate the value of that. And And I think, you know, if you don't have a young audience, I mean, this is having a young, younger audience is the holy grail for everybody who puts on con- concerts. I mm-hmm. sometimes wonder about it because the fact of the matter is that we tend to, those of us who, who do classical music as a, in, in, in life, whether mm-hmm. as a profession or as a, uh, an, uh, an avocation, um, are gonna have typically an older demographic coming to, to our concerts
0: right with more time maybe
1: maybe it's a question of more time maybe it's a question maybe it's a generational thing i worry that our young people are not exposed to the wonders of the fine arts
0: Mm -hmm. you know so
1: many times people people have have said to me oh they remembered when they went to symphony concerts to school concerts as kids Mm And, you know, how, you know, some of them, it's, it's, it opened a whole world that's in some instances, they decided they, they were going to pursue. If you don't go to those concerts anymore, you don't even have the possibility of, of having those eye opening, soul opening moments. Right. That's, I think that's, that is a concern of all of us who are in this business i um, trying to always expand our audience base. Um, the youth, and are, I worry. Yeah. I wonder what's going to, we worry, but, and I worry what, you know, what are our audience going to look like in 20 years?
0: Interesting. I don't know. And I've also heard that the, the quality of musician, the quality of playing is better today than it was I don't know, 50 years ago. Is, is that true? Or like, I, I think 20 years ago, or certainly 200 years ago. Is that true? I think
1: that it is, uh, certainly on, on a level of technical proficiency. Okay. Um, I can tell you that the people who play in, in professional symphony orchestras, the degree of their competence is astonishing.
0: Mm -hmm. Their ability
1: to accurately recreate some of the most demanding things almost instantly is, I, I still, I mean, I did it for, and I continue to do it for so long, but it still astonishes me that, you know, what what a, today's orchestras can put together on very, what is often very limited rehearsal time.
0: On that note, um, you as a teacher, as a performer, as a pianist, as a conductor, how much time of how much of your time is dedicated towards practice currently or is it, um, you know, reading the score and interpreting and going for it? Are you still practicing or maybe you can just touch on that? I'm interested oh. in that question more as an amateur athlete and how much I put into my sport and uh, what is your sport? I just like doing almost anything outside, but it tends to be involved endurance, such as cycling, biking, um, swimming, and running, skiing. Yes. Cross country. Yeah, I love cross country skiing.
1: The short answer is, and I think that almost anybody who, especially who teaches a lot, will say, "I don't practice enough." Teaching is very demanding, uh, ultimately tiring, and I know that at the end of the day, if I come if I come home from teaching. I, I have almost nothing left in the tank. So to at that point to do anything other than chill is a challenge. I sometimes have to, and I sometimes do. I talked about expediency mm-hmm. and efficiency. I think as a concert pianist, as a conductor, I have learned over the years how to make the most out of the least in terms of practice time. It was interesting. I had a, I was having an interesting conversation with, um, uh, a, um, a a bishop, an Anglican bishop that I worked with this actually just last weekend, who I met and worked with in B.C., she has retired officially but had to come back to help out pending the election of a new bishop to, to replace her. But we had a conversation. She had, she had a conversation. Says, I'm wondering, basically it came boiled down to, I'm wondering what role my religion will play in my life when it's just between me and my religion, as she was facing the, the reality of retirement, because right. for the last 30 years, she's, her religion has been her job.
0: Right, oh, right,
1: interesting. And I, was, and I, I thought it was very yeah. interesting, because, I mean, you know, one day I, I hope to retire, and I think then what brought this up is your question, you know, about practicing. And I, I'm quite convinced, that when I retire, I certainly am not going to stop doing music. But I think, ironically, I think, that I will probably spend more time at the piano then than I do now.
0: Interesting. That is, that's wonderful. Very nice.
1: Well, I think it is kind of cool. I, I'm, I'm looking because it changes so much. No matter, I mean, I'm very fortunate and very blessed to have been able to have a good career as a performing musician. I mean, that, you know, the percentage of people who study music and who study music seriously and actually are able to earn a living in it is small. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been very fortunate. I love what I do, not everything about it, who does? Uh, but I love what I do and I recognize that I am fortunate and blessed to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but- but it is a job and right. and and um, so to be actually, able to, let me ahead. ask you
0: interrupt you um, on that it being a job and uh, maybe the the fear that we might have that you know this greatest music of the world ever written is you know some some feel are uh, going the way of the dinosaur another friend my high school friend margo asked the question should we dumb down symphony concerts for the general population in order to survive and maybe give more people jobs? <laughs> and, uh, or do we set the bar high to maintain standards of intelligence? That was her question.
1: You know, I mean, I, I'm not sure, I have no pretensions to have the answer to that question. Um, any more than, you know, the question about are symphony orchestras going the way of the dinosaurs? I think the art of what we do and what we have to continue to do is to is to find ways to get people to come to the hall come to the concert.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But what's at least as important is that when we get them there we have to provide we have to provide compelling performances. I believe that fine art, in this case, music, has universal appeal if performed, especially if performed with sincerity, with uh, conviction, and perhaps with introduction. You know, there was a time when, probably when I was a kid, that people maybe even knew a little bit about Beethoven and Mozart, I'm not so sure they know that anymore. Um, so one of the things that I try to do, certainly in the concerts that i that I conduct and play, uh, is to just put something out there that um, hopefully builds a bridge
0: i've I've very much enjoyed your concerts and that bridge building, which I personally need and am grateful for. so thank you.
1: Well, I hope that it makes a difference. I mean, I really, I really am sincere in saying that I believe that great music as in great art has universal appeal. I've seen it. I've seen the evidence of that too often to not know that it's true. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, you know, the art, the, the challenge remains, how do we get people into our concerts? Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, so that's one challenge. The other challenge is that we have to, provide and performances that reach out and touch people.
0: Nice. Rolf, what are you excited about now? What's what's exciting you these days in the next year or so, five years? What's keeping you motivated and happy?
1: Um oh all manner of things. I'm I'm uh in no particular order. I'm uh, I have two really cute uh granddaughters nice um i don't see them as much as i would like to but i treasure every moment i love working with the the civic symphony musicians i love i love making music i love the whole art of of um you know trying to figure out well what are we going to do next what's our next project you know what what or i'm just in the in the final straight stages now of of uh, finishing programming next season for the Civic, and, uh, and also for the Instrumental Society of Calgary, of which I'm artistic director. So these are, these are really creative and exciting projects. How do you, you know, how do you take sometimes a, just a, a perhaps somewhat amorphous idea and build it into a, an interesting and compelling season of concerts? there's, you know, there's so much, I, I, I also believe that we have to hold on to our dreams. First of all, we have to allow ourselves to dream. Nice. And then we have to hold on to those dreams and we have to, you know, accept that perhaps they won't all bear fruit, but many of my dreams have. I still hold on to them and they're, there are things on my wish list that I, I hope that I get to conduct one day. And there are projects that I have, you know, in my library of projects that, that I, um, yeah, that I hope that I can, I can realize and bear bear to fruit bring to fruition.
0: Wow. That is exciting. I, I, I love that. Oh, and
1: otherwise, and, and another thing that's important is that I really do hope that I can improve my golf game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good for you. Um, so let me ask you this question: What advice would you give your younger self? It kind of maybe ties into what you kind of uh, some of the things you just said—the the going for your goals and dreams. I think I would I would absolutely
1: say that. Um, practical terms: get an education. I did. Uh, i didn 't go as far as I in hindsight should have in terms of viability in the professional marketplace because i don 't have a doctorate i There are doors that are closed, mm-hmm. which is a disappointment because I have so much experience and so much to bring to the table but they 're simply that 's simply the way of the li- uh, the way of the world now in mm-hmm. this business um, so I would say, get an education. Knowing full well that in some instances that's not necessary, that's not the route for everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people uh, will be happier doing trades, but that's also getting an education, though. Right. So,
0: yeah. Cool. And um, how about this? As an artistic director and the the circles that you've been traveling in for forty years, or what, or more. You've chosen this career, which has been wonderful and exciting, in my perspective, and I think yours too. But what profession, other than your own, what you've chosen to do in your life's work, would you have maybe liked to attempt it? After meeting all of these people from all over, that's if pretty. There was a-
1: that's pretty easy. Um, I I I wanted. Of course, it was it was a. <laughs> some would say this job was sexier back then when I was younger. Right. Uh, Airline pilot. Oh, neat! Cool. I I love the travel, and I've always, I've always been a closet pilot. Um, I think it's in the blood. My father had his pilot's license, and both of my younger brothers, uh, at least, took steps towards getting them. I don't. Neither of them actually completed those steps, uh, but it's always been on my bucket list. Um, I also was very interested in the diplomatic corps because. I like working with people uh, representing my country. Um, I was at 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 fourteen. I was fluent in five languages. Wow. Um, yeah, and and the the other other thing that was sort of a one on my hit list at one at one point uh, in my teen years was marine biologist. Hmm. So. But I would say, if I had to choose one, it would be it would. Oh yes, sorry, <laughs> it would be either pilot or
0: one of the elite golfers. Ralph, I can't help but ask a question, and I may just edit it out, but um, probably not. Um, okay, so a, a mentor of mine, Seth Godin, um, wrote a blog post recently. He's been writing blog posts for I don't know since the early '90s or something one a day for that many years and then they're short but he he wrote a blog post um called golfer surfing <laughs> and he explained how they're different would you care to elaborate why you why you're not a surfer and why you're a golfer maybe just for fun <laughs> i um, think there's one real obvious reason <laughs> there's no ocean <laughs> yeah i i think
1: that i think that golf is more zen I think surfing is more adrenaline. And um, it, it's the same thing, you know, I, I, I took up downhill skiing in my mid forties
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I really enjoy it, but I am not. Uh, I, 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 I have a highly developed sense of self-preservation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think I'm ever going to do a black run. <laughs> um, I tried it once and it was an epic fail. Um, I did not injure myself because I know how to protect myself. But it's I, I don't do it for the adrenaline, and I think that I think that surfing would be more along the adrenaline side of things. And whereas golf is golf is about aesthetics, it's about technique. It's, mm-hmm. You know, I, there's it's a it's a lot of parallels with the arts mm-hmm. because you know usually you're, the the environment the context in which you play is beautiful. It's true, um, and when you when you hit that really nice shot, and it the ball cuts up against that beautiful blue sky, and lands in the general proximity of where you hoped it would. That's that's a really nice moment.
0: It feels good, and it's in a yeah you know, beautiful yeah courses are beautiful. Yeah, and
1: and technique, uh, as I as as we all know, does make a difference, in the same same way as having. Good fundamentals as an instrumentalist makes all the difference in the world
0: mm-hmm. absolutely well, so, my final question of the day, why or why not? Are you staying in calgary
1: well, I really like calgary i i i as I said, I think that um it has most of the advantages of a major international city and very few of the disadvantages um it I, I love the fact that it's close to the mountains. Although I don't, I must admit that I don't take advantage of that as often as I would like. Um, I think it's easy to, a city that's easy to get around in. I think that it has, um, you know, in terms of the arts, there's a very active, um, a very active community, uh, both from a from a point of view of presenters and audience. Um, It's, I I like the relative newness of it. Um, You know, you can hop, you can get to anywhere in the world easily from our airport. Um, You've got really excellent restaurants, perhaps not as many as Montreal would have, but you've got enough that you you can, if you want to have a nice night out at a restaurant, uh, you can have an outstanding meal in, in any number of places in Calgary. Um, again, aesthetics. <laughs> um, I think that our, our, our medical system and our educational system, even though they've faced, you know, challenges over the years, uh, I think it's still one of the best around, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy it here. The, you know, oh, I, I have to say, you know, when I when I told friends of mine in Montreal the first time that I was coming here in the late nineties, you all know, oh, you're going to hate the hate the weather. It's so cold. It's just, and and I can I have to say that I think the weather, by comparison with the East, is benign. I mean, yes, we get that week or two of bitter cold every year, but it's not, it's not that bone chilling gets you know gets into your bones cold that the humidity of the east gives you Mm -hmm. so for me and there's much more snow in the east and it's heavy and it's you know i mean if you have to shovel that you know you better be in some kind of decent shape here you can almost blow it off of your car yes um i'm so I, i i i actually I'm very happy with the climate here. You know, I, 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 I love the fact that it is overall, uh, uh, sunny tends to be, you know, we tend to get a lot of sunshine. Um, and the winter, well, I, I, I don't personally have a problem with it. Maybe you shouldn't tell people that, but I think it's, <laughs> I, I, I think compared to other winters that I've experienced, it's relatively benign and, uh, I would love for it to be a month shorter, but oh, well, you know.
0: Yeah. Oh, good. What ask? If you had an ask or a wish, what'd you do of the audience? Do you have an ask or a wish for the audience? Open yourselves
1: to being moved. And hopefully we can deliver on that, that openness.
0: Nice. I'll give that some thought. Thank you. <laughs> Ralph, how can people reach out to you? Um, You're on Insta. You're on Twitter, I believe. Um, I'm on Twitter.
1: I think it's uh, Maestro Birch. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm on Instagram. I think it's also Maestro Birch. And that's uh, B-E-R-T-S-C-H. Yes. It's complicated, but I'm used to it. (laughs) I've had lots of rehearsal time. Thanks.
0: (laughs) Maestro, M-A-E-S-T-R-O. Rate and I'll put the links to that too in the show notes. And Rolf, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Well, that was a fun podcast with Rolf Bursch. What a pleasure to spend a bit of my Friday afternoon with Rolf. So the question becomes, how do we get more people in our music halls? The music certainly is great. Hopefully this podcast will help some. our listeners get to the halls to hear more music. Rolf Birch, what a builder of community and a pleasure to have on the show. Look forward to connecting with him again in future episodes. So if you know others that should be on the podcast, Calgary Living, Real Estate and Lifestyle, reach out to me. I'm Brian Howard. You can find me as well on Insta at Calgary underscore living. And all the connections to Rolf will be given as well. You can find him at, again, Miestro Birch on Insta and Twitter. And look for the links. Until next show, thank you so much for listening.